Warning. This podcast features adult subject matter, adult language, and things not meant for children to hear. Viewer discretion is advised. You've been warned. I think we might be. It looks like we are. We are live, live, ladies and gentlemen, for the latest episode of the I'm No Joe podcast, the show where every armchair quarterback can feel like an Eddie Bravo. Uh, Today's special, unprecedented Friday episode of the show. Uh, I do have to apologize. I have been ill with food poisoning the last couple days, so there was just no chance of making the normal Thursday night show. Uh, the downside to that is that we may or may not have some guests with us here today, depending on schedules. Um, the good part is that when I originally set this show up, it was destined originally set up to be just this ugly mug reading and breaking down some MMA shit to you folks. So I am fully prepared to handle this solo here. Uh, may even have a little casualty later on. You never know. Um, but since it is just me and it is a special Friday edition and there are other folks here whose uh, live shows go on during Friday evenings who I do not want to step on the toes of, I am going to try and make this short and sweet for you fine folks. Um, right off the bat, we will start just the way we always do with uh, some news and recent events, things that have happened since the last time we did a show for you fine folks. Um, do not have the... Uh, special Sunday recap show set up over on Mixer just quite yet, hoping to have that set up for this weekend. So before I jump into news and events, I actually am going to do a little bit of recapping from last weekend here. Um, Last weekend was Bellator 233. Um, Interesting card overall. A couple of quick little notes. Tyrell Fortune is a dumbass. Go watch. You'll find out why if you're interested. Um, Leslie Smith is absolutely terrible at MMA. It doesn't matter whether she's in UFC or Bellator. She proved that to us this last weekend. Gilbert Melendez is just as bad at coaching as he is at fighting and commentary. So being as how he was just released from the UFC as a fighter, uh, maybe we can hope he'll have a little more time to devote to coaching and maybe commentating and step his shit a little bit up. But, being as how his track record is what it is, I highly doubt it. Um, big, big mention here. Uh, their main event was fucking terrible. Salter gassed himself out, and then he just got subsequently fucking worked. And it you could tell that he was not on the same level here, and it, it didn't end well for him. So, uh, oh, the other thing worth noting real quick, uh, Bellator 233, and I don't get why they use different ones or why they even bring this one back, but for some reason, the giant in-ring logo in the center of the octagon for Bellator was Monster Energy like it is for the UFC a lot of the times, but um, I've actually discussed this with a bunch of folks who watch these fights live with me in, in our little chat. Um, there's a couple of different Monster Energy logos that they use for the in-octagon promotions. There's one of them. It looks like a big old gigantic green dick wrapped around the monster logo. And guess which one Bellator used this weekend? That's right. They had the big green monster cock right in the middle of the fucking ring. So that's, it's weird. And I don't know why they keep using it, but you know what they did. So 
whatever. I don't, I don't even know. I don't, I don't understand why they keep using that particular logo. It's probably the most phallic monster logo I have ever seen because they use a bunch of different variations of it. But this one in particular keeps finding its way back. Like, I will say this, that particular monster logo doesn't look as bad when they put it on the side railings in the corner of the octagon for the fight. But when they lay it out gigantic, like in the middle of the octagon, it looks like a big green cock with the word monster tattooed on it. So there's that. Um, jumping along here to UFC Moscow. Jesus, was that a terrible fucking card. Now, there are several cards that have been talked about recently that we try to explain to you guys that these cards are basically filled with people from the local area, not people who are deserving to fight and being put on that card being an extreme situation like this in Moscow. And when you watch the card, you got to see exactly why we were talking about it like that. It was pretty fucking terrible overall it was pretty fucking terrible um one of the biggest ways that you could tell it was going to be a terrible event the biggest cage side celebrity they had to put on camera and brag about was steven seagal and that's weird unto itself for a whole other litany of reasons but his fat just for men rock and ass was their cage side watching the fight so there was that um also Kind of like we predicted was going to happen. Uh, Voldemort himself learned that there are absolutely levels to this game, and he is way below the current level for actual legitimate fighters. Um, I did, I was, you know, like most other people, I was really hoping to see him do something stupid enough to get knocked the fuck out. We didn't quite get that, but he absolutely got worked and shown that he is not nearly on the level that he thinks he is when he's not fighting soup cans anymore. So hopefully we don't have to deal with that stupid asshole again anytime soon for a while. Um, the main event. <sighs> so much bullshit. Uh, Zabit spent the better part of the entire fight getting countered and then sniff and crotch without putting any practicality into it here. It just, it wasn't, I, I don't know. It, it just seemed like for all the hype that he puts behind himself, for all the hype that people put on him, he really didn't demonstrate that high of a level. On top of that, we're looking at two relative mediocre fighters in the division as a main card in Moscow. There's, I don't understand how the Vulcan, uh, Vulcan fight didn't take main event because it's in Moscow. And generally when they do events like that, the, the main card goes by weight. So the, the main event is generally the heaviest fight on the card, which is how we've ended up with some weirder events. Like when we had Nunez fighting for her second belt uh, under other cards or under other fighters rather that were were heavier than her instead of her being the main event because that was a big fucking fight we've had several of them like that but um overall i i don't feel that zabit is really living up to the hype that he's being presented with and granted i know he's got that banana split that he pulled off and he's had some interesting matches but uh even against my boy kyle bokniak 
from Boston. They went the distance here, and Kyle was getting pieced up for the vast majority of that fight. And I love Kyle Bakniak, but he is a great striker, not the most well-rounded overall, just because he's still so young in his MMA career. For what they hype up Sabit to be, he should have been able to make light work of Kyle Bakniak, and he could not. He should have been able to make light work of Calvin Cater because Cater's primarily just a striker. A good one, but primarily just a striker. That was not the case. You saw him getting legitimately pieced up by Calvin. And more often than not, when he was trying to put work in ground-wise, it didn't pan out the way that he thought it was going to. So I don't like I, I get that because they were in Russia, Zabit automatically gets the fucking head nod. But I don't think there's anything to brag about or to come away from positively for that fight. Uh, for Zabit and you could legitimately see towards the end of it he was starting to slow down and look weathered so I, I know it's already been said a bunch of times but I'm gonna say it again had that been a five-round fight it would have been very different and this is not a Masvidal Diaz situation where we didn't get to see the fourth and fifth round so we don't know if Nate was really going to be able to bring on the pressure this is it was a three-round fight the fight was over and they were both still there at the end of the third so this one could have been a five-rounder and may have been different, but we will never know. They're not going to remake that fight anytime soon. Um, the other thing I want to mention real quick, I agree completely that Ed Herman is still a fucking tank. He was working Ibrahimov so slowly and so meticulously. It, I don't know. It was just, it was a very good display of Ed Herman still being there despite a lot of people counting him out because he hasn't been the most active fighter lately. But that being said, he's still a very valid and dangerous threat and cannot be overlooked. So from there, we will jump into some actual news and recent events here. Um, I did mention earlier. Gilbert Melendez has officially been released from the UFC, which I am legitimately okay with because he hasn't really done shit worth talking about inside the octagon in quite some time now. Granted, Gilbert was a fucking warrior back in the day. He was legitimately one of those folks that really helped bring eyes to MMA overall back in the early days of it, but it he's been on the back nine of his career, as we say, for quite some time now. So, as much as it it might not be what he wants, I think him being released from the UFC really is the best thing for him because, like I said, he's still got the coaching gig. Um, he's still got the commentating gig. So it's not like he's hurting for anything or looking for work or anything like that. He's, he's going to be okay. Um, but moving on from there, um, it was officially announced this week that Luke Rockhold, after his brutal fucking knockout from Jan Blahovich, who we will be talking about again a little bit, um, is going back to test his grappling skills. He has entered Polaris 12, maybe uh, thinking the grappling and no headshots might be a little better for him because legitimately he was a good grappler, but that old glass chin of his, it caught up with him very clearly. Um, now the next thing I want to talk about real quick here, um, after the Nate Diaz Masvidal, uh, BMF title fight, uh, obviously Nate was not happy with the outcome. Obviously Nick was not happy with the outcome. And then we find out this week through a 
very mumbly interview with uh, Ariel Hawani that Nick Diaz has now officially called out Jorge Masvidal for a fight. Um, a real similar situation to what we were just talking about with Gilbert here. Uh, Nick Diaz was absolutely a fucking pioneer of MMA and really put a lot of eyes on the sport. There's a reason that the Nick Diaz army is still talked about, even though Nick hasn't been in the cage himself in some years now. And realistically speaking, isn't anticipated to come back to the cage anytime soon. Um, but I just think in this situation, it's it's a weird catch-22. Like, I get that he's trying to stick up for his little brother, but are you really so fucking delusional to think that someone who's been out of the octagon that long is going to step in and stand a fucking chance against a dude who just baptized your brother Street Jesus style that fucking badly in three rounds? Like, I get that Nick's trying to, you know, stick up for his brother and, and you know, be the tough Diaz that he's known to be, but get the fuck out of here. Jorge would piece Nick Diaz the fuck up twice as bad as he pieced Nate up because Nick is much more of a grappler than Nate was. Nate is generally a stand-up boxer with his jujitsu and his grappling as a backup. Nick, Nick rather was the polar opposite. He could strike, but he would like to take it to the ground. He liked to get in there and grapple and wrestle and throw you the fuck around. And that just doesn't fucking work. The grapplers can't do shit to Jorge right now. The strikers can't really do shit to Jorge right now. Least of all, a striker grappler who's been out of the octagon for a long fucking time like Nick has. I get it, dude. Run your gym, do your triathlons, teach your kids, but stop. Fucking stop. You are not going to stop fucking Jorge, dude. Get off of him. Now, another interesting development that has come about this week. Um, earlier in the week, we saw Stipe on Ariel Hawani's show talking about how he would like to do the pair of matches against Tyson Fury, a boxing match and an MMA match. We also got to see over the weekend that Tyson Fury has been training with Darren Till and he does not look terrible for a man who's literally seven feet tall and 300 pounds right now. He's pretty fucking agile and he's got some serious knees. We know he's got the striking credentials, um, obviously grappling would be one of his biggest issues, but with giant knees like that, that could be very, very interesting. Um, let's see. Um, do, 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 do. Uh, another interesting announcement here. Uh, the UFC announced this week that they have an event, their debut premiere uh, appearance, I guess it would be, in Raleigh, North Carolina. First time the UFC has ever been to Raleigh, and they're going to do it on January 25th to directly compete with the Bellator card where Cyborg is making her debut for the featherweight belt against Julia Budd. Um, interesting, interesting move here. Uh, but it's, we'll, we'll talk about the lineup for that in, in just a second here, which is what makes it so interesting. Um, one thing I want to mention real quick before we get into that, um, earlier this year, Neiman Gracie, one of the next generation of the Gracie kids fought a very, 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 very close match against Rory McDonald for the belt lost by, by split decision, I believe but went 
all the rounds went to the judges and it was a very well contested battle back and forth. Somehow now Bellator has him ranked number nine and they're getting ready to make him fight. Well, I shouldn't say they're making him. They've given him his next fight, which turns out to be a completely unranked soup can. Brand new fucking nobody. So I'm a little confused on how Bellator is doing their matchmaking when you had a guy who just fought for the belt, legitimately almost won the belt, and then now gets dropped to number nine in the rankings without having another fight since then. And instead of fighting the number one contender, like you would think a guy who just fought for the belt would, so the number two ranked fighter in the division or somewhere up there, they've got him fighting against a literal nobody full on soup can. And I think that's a little bit strange, but the strange matchmaking like that, I also feel might be part of why the UFC is hosting that event, their debut event in Raleigh, North Carolina on the same night that Cyborg is going to be fighting for her uh, debut slash belt chance over in Bellator. So um, the big prospects, what they've announced so far, it hasn't officially been confirmed as of yet, but what it looks like and what they've been hinting towards is that the two fights so far that are going to main and co-main, potentially, of course, the uh, Rally North Carolina card on January 25th, uh, co-main event, Frankie Edgar's debut at Bantamweight 135 versus Corey Sandhagen, which would be a great fucking match because those are two incredible fucking grapplers and wrestlers with good striking on both sides of that. So that would be a great fucking matchup as well. And then the potential main event for that, Curtis Blades versus JDS. That's another top heavyweight contender match that obviously neither one of them are fighting for a chance to go get that belt next because we've got Stipe worried with the potential DC trilogy. Now the potential Tyson Fury match, if he comes over, we still got Francis hanging in the wings here, but that is definitely going to, in my opinion, either show us that JDS is beyond that point of still being capable and active, or JDS is going to show us that despite Curtis Blades having some decent performances, he still really isn't on that top elite heavyweight level that Kane, JDS, um, fucking... Francis Stipe, as much as I hate to say it, kind of DC to a certain degree, um, have demonstrated that they all are. Blades is vying for it, but we just, we really haven't seen that championship style or caliber performance, rather, out of him, in my opinion, yet. I think JDS would be a great fucking test for him to see, can you hang or are you just running your fucking mouth without having anything to back it up there? Um, Next thing I want to talk about real quick. It's sad news. Carlos Condit has officially been pulled from the fight next month against Mickey Gall. He has an injury. Um, they have not disclosed what that particular injury is just yet, but apparently he had talked to Mickey Gall and his team before he, um, or about the time that he announced it to the UFC. So everything's amicable. There's no you know ill will or anything like that. But n now we get to wait and see, is the UFC going to, I mean, we've got essentially a month before that fight happens, just shy of a month. So is the UFC going to be able to find somebody to take that Mickey Gall fight on short notice here? Or are they going to end up just paying the poor guy and not having him fight at all? 
hopefully they find a good replacement for him. But that Carlos Condit versus Mickey Gall fight was going to be a fucking great matchup. I think that was going to be a nice test for both Mickey Gall and Carlos Condit to see, you know, who really wanted enough to, to stay in here. So next thing I want to talk about real quick, Bellator 234 this weekend. Um, a little bit weird. It's in Tel Aviv, Israel. So the fight, according to the Bellator website, goes on. Main card starts 9 p.m. Eastern tonight, Friday night. The problem is because not everybody's good at, at keeping secrets. Um, we were able to find out that not only did the fights happen last night in Tel Aviv, but I we already know a couple of the winners here. Um, regardless of that spoiler that the internet kind of threw out there, um, I will still encourage everybody once this is over, I'm, I'm just about wrapped up here. So once we finish this up, I would absolutely encourage everybody, get your tuners ready. Keep your eye out for that Bellator 234 card because there is absolutely some niceness that is coming out there. Uh, my man, LDV The Swarm, fighting Karatanov for that main event. Go Swarm. Team Swarm over here. Now, an interesting little thing that just came out today, um, the weigh-ins for UFC Sao Paulo that we will be talking about in just a little bit happened this morning. There was an issue with their scale. The Brazilian commission had to come out after the fact and talk about the scale itself was reading 0.7 of a pound, seven-tenths of a pound, over now what happened due to that overage on the scale is that we had three people miss weight this morning the interesting thing was that after those three people missed weight they found out that the scale wasn't calibrated properly they went back they redid it factored in the seven tenths of a pound Two of those three ladies, because it was three ladies that missed weight, two of those three ladies then with that 0.7 were back as officially making weight when they were shown as both missing weight. The UFC did not find either one of them because it would have, uh, assumingly, penalties offset, replay first down, you know, we're all good. So they never announced that either one of the ladies were going to be forfeiting the purse to the other because that's just weird. But then after the fact, once the scale issue was announced and confirmed, they did confirm that both of those ladies in that match did, in fact, make weight. The other, the third person, the one who did not, was the last-minute replacement for Ariana Lipsky's fight, uh, Isabella de Padua. She came in after the factored 0.7 pounds at 130.5. Um, now, the thing that I will say here, this is an interesting little uh, double-sided situation. One, she did come in over the limit here. But two, she literally took this fight as of yesterday morning. She was confirmed taking the fight as of Thursday morning. So on one hand, I do have a little bit of sympathy for taking such a short-notice fight and then missing weight you know, by almost five pounds. On the other hand, if you agree to take the fight, that means you're agreeing to be able to make the weight by the fight date. So this is still a situation where I, I there's a little bit of sympathy involved, but you still, you're supposed to be a professional at this point. This is her debut fight. 
and she agreed to take it on short notice, knowing that she had to make weight by Friday. She did not do that. So despite the scale, uh, scale issue rather, we still had a little bit of weight issues. Um, now, speaking of weight issues and debuts, this weekend was going to be the, well, it still is, I guess, uh, the debut on UFC Fight Pass of the LFA show. Um, but they've lost their co-main event because as of this afternoon, uh, Haley Cowan has officially been hospitalized due to weight cut. So while the show will go on and it will still be making its debut on UFC Fight Pass this weekend, they have no co-main event because of weight cuts, That the kind of thing that we've been talking about quite a bit lately here. Do, 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 do. Okay. Sorry, 9 million other things going on. Um, but moving along from that, um, the last little news and recent events segment thing announcement I want to talk about real quick before we jump into the meat and potatoes of the particular episode that we are in right now. Saturday night, as well as UFC Sao Paulo, Fight Night Sao Paulo, um, we also have one of the most non-UFC anticipated cards of the entire 2019 calendar year. Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship 9. BKFC 9, Lobov versus Knight 2. Even Lobov. I don't either. I think. I think we're back. I believe. Yes. Okay. Okay. We are back. Technical difficulties. Sorry about that, folks. Not sure where the fuck I just was here. Um, BKFC 9. This Saturday night. Artem Lobov versus Jason Knight to the rematch. Even Lobov and Nightier. Now, the first time these two friends stepped into the ring with each other in BKFC, they literally set the fucking standard for badassery. This weekend, we get the run back. We get the rematch of these two gentlemen who are still, again, friends to this day and absolutely understand that this is going to be the fight of the year as far as BKFC is concerned. There's been a little bit of trash talk going back and forth, not too terribly much, but holy shit, does this weekend's BKFC card promise to be as good, if not maybe even a little bit better, if you're into that sort of uh, thing, than the UFC card will be. So you're absolutely going to want to keep your eyes peeled for that as well. Now, with that being said, that is going to bring words. That is going to bring us to the meat and potatoes section of the show here. The reason we are doing this particular episode, this weekend's upcoming UFC Fight Night Sao Paulo. 
Whoo! Blahovich versus Jacare. This card has got interesting, interesting matchups all the way through it here. But again, because I'm trying to keep this fairly short here, I'm not going to do a full breakdown. What I am going to say real quick, the prelims are full of smaller guys and smaller gals. I think the biggest fighter on the prelim card itself is a welterweight, I believe. I think there might be one middleweight, but I'm pretty sure the heaviest fight on the, the prelim cards are welterweight. So it's all 170 and below, basically. Um, there are still some very, very interesting matchups on that prelim, though. So it is going to be one of those that it is worth watching if you've got the time and the option to do so. That being said, we're not breaking down that full prelim card. We're going to jump directly over to the main card here because there's some interesting things on this main card that I want to take just a little bit to actually break down and talk about here. The first one of those being Charles Dubronx Oliveira versus Jared Flash Gordon. Now, this is one of those situations where I've said it a million times and I'm going to say it a million times more. You don't get to the UFC on a big stage level, on a main card level, for the most part, being a soup can. You can absolutely have a lesser caliber fighter make it onto the main card. We saw Voldemort on the fucking co-main event last weekend, for shit's sake. But not too often, and generally almost never, two cards in a row do we have real shit fights on the main card. Um, the other two fights before this one, again, aren't shit fights, just not something I'm willing to devote time on already a crunched show to. But Oliveira has almost been completely overlooked by Jared Gordon. All of his interviews, all of his fight week press that he has been doing this week, he is basically already looking past Charles Oliveira. And Dubronx is the holder of the record for the most submission wins in the UFC for a very, very, very good reason. That man, as well as being a very clean striker, a damn good grappler, he is probably the most dangerous, smaller gentleman as far as submission goes in the UFC. I think his record is at 14 right now, I believe. 14, maybe 15, but he's over a dozen. And none of them were slight. He is an absolute fucking ninja when it comes to his chokes and his fucking neck cranks. And the dude knows his shit. I think this is one of those situations where I get that Jared Gordon is really trying to sell himself and trying to pump this fight out. But I think in doing so, you have dangerously overlooked a very, very legitimate and very seriously dangerous opponent in Charles Oliveira here. I think Dubronx is going to come away with the win. And I have a feeling that he's going to make an example of Jared Gordon here. And he's going to get not just a submission, but I feel like we're going to see something a little out of the ordinary, something a little crazy here. I feel like he's kind of going to show out a little bit. He's going to be feeling himself a little bit after getting kind of overlooked and shit talked by Gordon here. So I'm definitely going to encourage everyone to keep an eye on that particular match because that's got just Oliveira artwork waiting to happen all over it here. Now, that being said, even though this is a shorter show 
this is still the I'm No Joe podcast. And when we get the I'm No Joe podcast going live, sometimes myself and, and some of the other folks who tend to be on the panel with me here can get a little worked up. We can get a little rabid. We are kind of more balls deep, hardcore MMA fans. Like I said, I, I love the LFA. I love the bare knuckle. I love the Polaris. I love the, the submission only. I love no gi. I love gi. I love, you know, all sports, all combat sports, all forms of mixed martial arts. Ooh, my goal. But sometimes being the most hardcore fan doesn't come across as well to everyone who I would like to watch the show. So sometimes I like to dial it back a little bit and relax and, and calm down and, and make the show just a little more casual friendly here. And a little thing that we do around here that we call the casual corner. And we bring in the one and only Miss Lumi Streams to give us kind of a different perspective on this weekend's events and punchy kicky fun time. Oh, fuck. Fucked it up. Oh, Hold on. Oh, we got we're this. Shit already. Oh, we're breaking it. Shit. We're breaking shit already. Oh, fuck. Uh -oh. Um, we're breaking it all over the place. Um, so about <laughs> that. Uh oh. Shit. Broken corner. I really broke it this time. I can't get my camera to turn on because it's on OBS right now. Yeah, broken punchy kicky corner casual as fuck <laughs> shit. Shit. I'll try unplugging my webcam I was gonna say have you unplugged it and plugged it back in yet have you tried turning it off and back on again it was from that crash dude uh... and I relaunched it Yes! There we go! Fuck yeah! <laughs> Best casual fucking ever. Huzzah! Huzzah! Okay. <laughs> Fuck. Anywho. How do you like the screen setup? Who are we I on? I like it. I dig it. We're on this guy. So, Rua? This Rua dude? Rua. Rua? Rua. He's Brazilian. The R is an H. Ooh. Rua. Ooh, yes. Um, I found out through some of my casual research that he is like a prime original, which there's not very many of those left. He's a what? Prime original, I think. Is Pride? What? Pride? Yes. 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 There's not very many of those guys left. No, there are not. Pride, and the main reason for that is because Pride literally in their contract said we will not test you for steroids so some of the dudes in pride got ridiculous and in doing so there was some severe damage in a lot of fights in pride those fucking things were brutal as shit yeah those guys didn't tend to hold out so well as their career started to progress on yeah i was looking at this whole oh Guys, you're in the way. How am I supposed to see this? So, when I was looking at the stats, this is, like, I'm sorry, Paul. Paul, you are insignificant. When I see 81% KO, TKO, this just makes me feel moist. Like, I'm excited. I like people that bring the violence. Hence my little stick figure art over here. Um, I really, I just, I like the violence. Um... Yeah, I'm rooting for Hua all the way because 
only 15% decision, which, okay, so we'll give Paul this. This is something I did notice. While he's, while Hua has 81% KOTKO and Paul only has 8%, we go to submissions where Hua only has 4%. Yes. And Paul has 92. Yes, so the Bearju means... is a grappler. He is a choker. It's, that's one of the things that's going to make this fight interesting. Um, yeah. Paul is generally a ground fight kind of guy. Hua is the opposite. He can take it to the ground, but he likes to stay on the feet. Yeah, for me, this is really exciting. I don't really prefer... I, I don't mind the ground people, but if if there's different ways that I want to see a fight go... It's I want to see people go to sleep or I actually want to watch them get fucked up on the ground, which I'm perfectly okay with too. Like, you can get choked. It's not as fun as watching you go to sleep, but you briefly take a nap when you're getting choked. So, while I do think this is a phenomenal matchup, it's it's quite interesting the way that they're doing this whole grappling versus ground thing. I'm intrigued. I'm rooting all the way for Hua, though, because... We got two of my favorite types of fights going on in one match. Like, I'm gonna be like, oh, oh, it's going up, it's going down. People yep. choked. Nope, people getting punched. This is, this is gonna be fascinating. So, yes, it will. Pua all the way. Are you trying to fall asleep there? Not you. Um. Okay, then we go to the main card. I'm, I'm assuming I'm saying this wrong. Jan? Is his name actually Jan? Jan. Jan? Jan. Jan. I have great career possibilities as a barista. Versus That's right. Ronaldo? That's, uh, his name is Ronaldo Souza, but they call him Jacare, which is Brazilian for the alligator. Sure. Portuguese, not Brazilian. I was more excited about the previous fight, to be honest. I didn't really meh, meh. So I just, I'm just gonna go straight down. I did actually write notes though. I'll actually read those. Hold on. <laughs> oh, okay. It's that Han has some. He's only one inch taller. This was something I noticed. Only one inch taller, but look at that reach of 78 inches reach compared to 72. Leg yep. reach is 44 versus 41. That man's got some fucking sp spidey limbs. He's got limbs, yes he does. He's got, he's got <laughs> wild limbs, like silly limbs. Um, But then I, I thought that was fascinating. And then I went down to the wind by stuff. And just it didn't feel all that exciting i really i just i see the decision ratios where it's 38 percent decision 15 percent decision it's not terrible but it's not excellent either because i look at the ko's tko's it's just it doesn't look like it's going to be wild the other one looks like it's going to be wild why did you make this like why is this the main event two reasons um one style wise this is almost identical to the last fight we've got jan blahovich who is a tall striker versus Jacques Array, who is a relatively tall jujitsu guy. He's a grappler. He's a ground fighter guy. One of the most dangerous jujitsu guys there is. But the other reason is that this is Jacques Array making his debut at 205. This is him moving up from 185 to 205, which ironically 
is the last time we just saw Jan Blahovich a couple months ago. He's the one who welcomed Luke Rockhold moving up from 185 to 205 and knocked him smooth the fuck out. So oh. it's it's got a lot of potential as well. I'll take a knockout. If, that, if that's the case, I'll go along with the knockout. I'll go with that guy. Which one was it? Jan. 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 He's the one that Luke Rockhold made fun of him, said that he had small feet. And then he basically knocked Luke Rockhold out in like a minute and a half. Like put him to fucking sleep hard. <laughs> okay, we'll go with Jan. Although, Ronaldo looks like he has potential to be a badass. I don't know. He is. He was one of the baddest motherfuckers at 185. But he's getting to that point where he's later in his career. His body doesn't respond as well to cutting weight real hard. So he's doing like a lot of those guys from 185 have been doing recently. And he's going to try and make the move up to 205. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> if there's a knockout, I'll be happy. There's there's very good potential for a knockout. I'm still more impressed with the previous fight. It's yeah, it's gonna be real. It's gonna be a real similar matchup, real similar styles. Um, I think the the biggest difference that I've noticed between the two styles, it, or styles between the two fights rather, is where we've got Jan and Jacare are only about an inch difference. Paul Craig, and I did not realize this until I watched the weigh-ins today, Paul Craig is like four and a half inches taller than Mauricio Shogun Hua. Like, he literally looked down on him at the weigh-ins. I didn't realize that there was that much of a height discrepancy between those two. So that's going to make it interesting as well, I think. But real similar fights. Okay, that's your casual. Thank you very much, man. I appreciate your input. I have to figure out how to switch all of this back. <laughs> can we do it? Yes, we can. Sweet, switchy, switchy. So... That will bring us back to the potatoes of this particular meat and potatoes section of this particular meat and potatoes portion of the show for the evening. That would be talking about Mauricio Shogun Hua versus Paul the Bear Jew Craig in our co-main event for this weekend. Um, now, like Lumi and I were just talking about a minute ago here, this is going to be a very interesting matchup style-wise because we've got the dominant legendary striker from all the way back in the pride and WEC days in Shogun. And then we've got the strong grappler and submission artist. That is the blue face stripe painted bear Jew in Paul Craig. Like I said a minute ago, I did not realize myself that there was that much of a difference in the height between Shogun and Paul until I watched the weigh-ins this morning. And you see that he literally towered over Shogun and was staring down. And when they gave him the tap to separate him, neither one of them fucking moved. They stood face-to-face -face fucking locked eyes. That matchup is going to be fucking spectacular. Now, there's two things to note, I think, mostly about this fight. Two most important things that I want to note. One, 
they have both had very mixed careers as far as their last couple of fights go. Neither one of them have really been able to string together the wins that I feel that they need to really kind of get themselves back on a good momentum roll. Paul Craig more so looking good because he's been more active, whereas we haven't really seen a whole lot of Shogun lately. But the other thing that's worth noting here is that Shogun has mentioned multiple times this week that he promised his wife after this match he has two more fights and then he's retiring. That's it. He said there's nothing the UFC can offer him, no matchup they can tempt him with. He has two more fights and then he's done. He's calling it quits. We've said it time and time again. Once you even start thinking about the possibility of it being time for you to retire, there's a noticeable switch that goes off in a fighter's head. And whether it's conscious or subconscious, to a certain degree, when that switch flips, they always pull their foot off the gas just a little bit. And that's not to say it's all the time. And that's not to say it doesn't, you know, give them still plenty of opportunity to, to show what they're capable of. It's just one of those things that when they start talking about actively considering retirement, or in this case, knowing for a fact, I've got two fights left. You saw it in DC versus Stipe. He said he's going to retire after that Stipe fight. And while he did, arguably looked good against Stipe in that first round, the changes that he should have been able to make in the second round when Stipe found that body shot just weren't there. And you have to think to some degree that's got to be at least a part because in his head he already had running through, once this fight's done, I'm done. So it doesn't matter anymore. I just have to worry about right now. And you kind of trip over your own dick a little bit in that situation. And I have a feeling we're going to see that against Shogun here. I think Shogun might, you know, for all his credit, still at this point, knowing that retirement's coming, be a little bit in his own head. And I think that's going to pose a problem when you're talking about a bigger, stronger, more grappling, more athletic guy in Paul Craig. I think Paul Craig is going to come away with it here. But this is one of those situations. I can't be sure whether Paul Craig is going to take it early in the second round because they're not sweaty yet and he's still got the strength advantage or this is going to be a full going to the judges because both men are still legitimately fairly even ranked as far as talent and ability goes. I think that Craig is going to come away with it, whether it comes down to the judges being on points or whether he actually gets Shogun to the ground and gets a submission. Like I have a feeling we might see, but either way, it's a great fucking co-main event. And I love that they're letting Shogun fight in Brazil, especially knowing He's only got two more fights left on his docket before he's done with this whole game. That being said, that will move us along to the tomahawk steak. That is the meat and potato segment of this meat and potato segment. In the meat and potato segment of the show, the main event of the evening. I am so fucking happy that for the first time in at least a couple of cards, we have a legitimate main event that I can actually be excited about for a fucking change. We have had so much filler and bullshit all the way down to the main event for the last half a dozen cards or so, with the exception, obviously, of the pay-per-view events. These fight night cards have just been getting 
so fucking watered down. These fight nights and the UFC on ESPN Plus or ESPN cards, whatever the stupid fucking name they're giving them is, they've been getting so watered down lately. And it's so fucking infuriating, especially as such a fucking rabid fan like I am, that we're getting fights that should either be on the prelims or just shouldn't fucking be televised, taking up main card time. And especially, we've had so many shitty main events in the last couple of months. Obviously, again, pay-per-views aside. We get another interesting matchup here. Jan Polish Power Blahovich versus Jacare Souza. This is an interesting, interesting fucking matchup. Just as much as the co-main event, but even more so when you consider this is the first time we are going to see what Jacare looks like at 205. This is such a tricky double-edged sword here, and we have seen this. This is the third time in as many months we have seen a former contender and dominant fighter at 185 decide that it's time to start making that move fight closer to your natural weight and making the move from 185 up to 205. We talk about this all the time. I'm absolutely happy to see fighters competing at their, or close to at least, their normal walking around their natural weight. The problem with a situation like this and like the other two that we just saw is that now we're getting guys who, instead of being in their prime and realizing how much better they could be if they're not depleting their body with that weight cut, we're getting guys who've been at it for a decade, for a decade and change, who have been champions at that detrimental body weight. Now that their body's not responding as well to that weight cut, moving up to closer to their natural weight. And the problem is, is they've spent most of, if not all of their careers up to this point, getting their body accustomed to performing at that lower level of weight, at that depleted hydration level. And now when they bring it back up to where they normally are, their body just isn't responding like it should, like it would if they had made this change when they were a younger fighter, when they were closer to their prime. This is one of those situations as well. Jacare is probably one of the baddest jujitsu practitioners in the UFC, Jacare and Damian Maya, for my money, are the two top of the fucking peaks as far as actual jujitsu practitioners that make that their specialty in the UFC. Those two gentlemen are the tip of the iceberg, in my opinion, here. Now, the problem, both of these dudes, like I said, have spent their entire careers depleting their body so far down that Maya obviously has no intentions to move. He just fucking took Askren's bitch ass out, so... Maya, for the most part, is all right where he's at. But Jacare was having a real rough go at middleweight. And I agree that he absolutely should have made this move a long time ago. But like I was saying, this comes that point where he's not making that move because it's better for his career. He's making that move because his body doesn't respond like it used to, to cutting all the way down to 185. Because Jacare, like most middleweights, is rumored to walk around well north of 200 pounds, closer to the 220 range. This is another one of those things that we harp on, and I harp on more than anything. That's so much fucking weight to cut. Now, if you're talking about a 15 to 20 pound weight cut, that's still a good amount of cut. But when you're talking about cutting 40, 45, 50 fucking pounds to make weight for a fight, 
you're seriously depleting your body and that has a long-term effect. We've seen it time and time again. And then when we get a guy who's been so dominant at depleting their body and still competing at middleweight, now making that jump because he essentially has to, just like we saw Luke Rockhold do and get knocked out by Jan Blahovich, just like we saw Chris Weidman do and get knocked the fuck out by Dominic Reyes. This is one of those situations where you have to wonder, is Jacare making this move because he wants to fight at 205 for the remainder of his career? Because love him as I do, I'm also realist enough to recognize that Jacare is starting to head, if not already on, that back nine of his career. So is he doing this because his body's not responding like it used to, like most of the other gentlemen we've seen do this? Or is he making this choice to move up because he feels like he has a better chance at being able to implement his particular tool set against the guys he'll be facing at 205. As great of a fucking striker as Jan Blahovich is, and he is, he doesn't always have the best ground game. He has some, but when you take into consideration a fucking world-class Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt like the crocodile Jacare, the alligator, whatever the fucking, whatever, you know what I mean. Like Jacare, someone of that world-class caliber, can he hold out if Jacare manages to get him at the ground? Because as dominant as Jacare was at 185, the other thing that has to be taken into consideration is that whether the chin goes with them or not, when you move up weight classes, the power does increase when you cut less weight. When you deplete the hydration of your body to a lesser factor than you're known to perform at, you have the ability to hit harder. You have the ability to put more into your shots and to throw more volume shots, generally speaking. Is this one of those situations where the power that Jacare is going to bring up with him is going to be enough to put Blahovich on the ground when they're just an inch difference in height? If so, can John be able to compensate for the power that Jacare will have when he's putting on jujitsu, the likes of which Jan Blahovich has not faced in the octagon yet? This is one of those situations where I think that Jacare is absolutely going to bring more power with him, but I don't think it's going to be enough power to make a difference against someone as strong and as dedicated as Jan Blahovich is. Jacare might be one of the best ever on the ground, but getting somebody as big and as strong like Jan Blahovich to the ground is a whole different ballgame. And not that he was on the same level, but Luke Rockhold was known as a great grappler as well as a striker. And we saw what happened when Luke Rockhold tried to put Blahovich on the ground. It didn't end well. And again, like TJ always says as well, MMA math doesn't work. You can't bank on MMA math. But you also have to take into consideration, not only has Jacare never competed at 205, he's never tried to take down a striker as big as Jan Blahovich because he's used to those middleweight guys. So it's going to be interesting to see what Jacare brings to the table because as far as I can tell from my money, this is Jan Blahovich's fight to lose. Unless Jacare realistically brings a significant power increase with him up to 205 and can get around Jan Blahovich's striking, he's not going to get that chance to take Jan to the ground. Jan does not leave silly openings or you know loose shots to be had and Luke Rockhold tried and Luke Rockhold's a decent grappler, but 
Rockhold couldn't get him anywhere near the ground, and very few other people that he has fought at 205 have been able to as well. I, I love Jacare. I love that he's making the move, but I don't feel that he's going to have enough to get past that gigantic right hook Jan Blahovich lands with his mailbox-sized fists. I love Jacare, but I have a feeling that he's going to sleep just like Luke Rockhold did. I don't think it's going to be a long fight. I don't think we see this go three rounds. I don't think Jacare is going to get Blahovich to the ground. I absolutely think he's going to try, and I want to see him try. But I have a funny feeling that Polish power is going to rule the night, and I think we're going to see Jacare going to sleep in the first, just like Rockhold did. I don't know if it's going to be as quick because I think Jacare has got a little better fight IQ than Rockhold did, but I still think the result is going to be inevitable. I think we're going to see Jacare out cold on that canvas and Jan Blahovich wondering what the fuck else he has to do at 205 to get his name considered as a top prospect because to fans like myself, he's been punching his way through the fucking division, but Dana and John don't seem to even fucking notice him or put him on the radar when they've got guys like Corey Anderson and Dominic Reyes who are literally chomping at the bit, jumping to try and be the next contender for the belt. Now, it looks like Dominic Reyes is going to get that nod, and Corey Anderson has already said he's willing to sit back and wait his turn so long as it's only Dominic Reyes, who he agrees, has put in the time, gets the shot next. But I think if Jan wins this fight, the only real thing you can do at this point, if you're going to give Dominic Reyes the next title shot, is put Corey Anderson against Jan Blahovich for the next title shot after Dominic. But that's also assuming that Jan can get around a very, very dangerous Jacare Souza making his debut at 205. So we're just going to have to stay tuned and see if it's going to work out the way that Jacare hopes it's going to work out. But that is all I've got for this episode here. I managed to keep it approximately under an hour, almost, almost. We tried, damn it, I tried to keep this short and sweet. Um, That is all we've got for this evening. So before I get out of here, if I have given you some information you didn't have before, if I give you a point of view you didn't have before, if I made you chuckle with some of my shenanigans here, I would appreciate a thumbs up, maybe a subscribe, share an episode with a friend if we really tickled your fancy. On the other side of that coin, if I'm just some dipshit sitting around with bad CGI graphics talking out my ass about something that I don't know, give me a thumbs down. I earned it, and I won't dispute that. But if you do dig what we're doing around here, we're trying to grow this thing. We have a Patreon now. The Patreon link is going to be in the description. If you don't like Patreon, because I know people don't like Patreon because they take a cut, there's also a direct PayPal link in the description underneath the Patreon so you can help support this. Don't want to give some money? I don't blame you. Share an episode. Give it a thumbs up. Tell somebody you know about the shit that we're doing here. We're trying to build something. This is not just a YouTube thing. I'm also working on a secondary recap kind of uh, alternate show that's going to be going live on Mixer on Sundays. Potentially the first episode of it going out this weekend. So keep your eyes peeled again on all my social media, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you follow. I'm no Joe. I will absolutely put the notification out there before we do the show this weekend, if we get a chance to. If I don't get a chance to, however, I wish you all a wonderful Thanksgiving since this is the last UFC card of November. We are off again until the first week in December where we head to D.C. for an interesting show in the USA capital here. So 
until then, if I don't see you Sunday, I hope everyone has a safe holiday and I will see you again in December. Keep your eyes peeled this weekend for an incredible group of fights. Regardless, thank you again for tuning in. And remember, don't let ignorance stop you. You can root for anything. Have a great night, folks. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little bit frightening. But they fought with expert timing. There were funky China men from funky China. They were chopping them up. They were chopping them down. It's an ancient Chinese art. And everybody knew their part. From a fainting to a slip. And a kicking from the hip. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Oh,